Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. The wind in your hair, the breeze on your face, the cool morning air, the challenge, the race. The forward comes near and your time is now. You show no fear, it's no wonder how. It's not the same without grass stains. Driving head first at feet with cleats. When my team on the field, we got the fire. Win or lose, to play is our desire. The poem you just heard is called The Knockout and was written by nine-year-old Jalia C. from Ayton Elementary School in Northeast Washington, D.C. Jalia is part of a program called D.C. Scores, a nonprofit organization serving over 2,000 low-income children in D.C. through an opt-in program that combines soccer, poetry, and community service. Their model focuses on reaching children at an early age, changing the relationship between school kids, parents, teachers, schools, and the community, and making a long-lasting impact on all of these groups. Today we're joined by Bethany Rubin Henderson, the Executive Director of DC Scores. Bethany has long had a desire to create and run programs that impact multiple stakeholders in need through one action. She has had quite a career, including work as one of 24 Urban Fellows in New York City in 1998, helping drive the city's adoption of emerging internet technology, receiving a law degree from Harvard Law School in 2002, founding a local government service corp in 2007, and serving as a White House Fellow in 2012. She also teaches aspiring social change makers on how to convert their dreams into action, and she's a wife and mom. Bethany, welcome to Grace and 30. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So maybe we can start from the beginning and talk about the, where the DC Scores program originated and how things have evolved. So DC Scores came about when a school teacher right here in DC at Marie Reed Elementary School, a woman named Julie Kennedy, noticed that a lot of the 10-year-old girls in her class were hanging around after school on the street corners outside. And she thought, huh, this doesn't seem good. So one day she asked them if they'd be interested in learning soccer because she was a soccer player. And they said, sure. And they started coming every day after school to play soccer with her. More kids kept coming. She realized there was a great interest and need here. She was a Teach for America core member at the time, so got some of her friends at other schools to pull together some of their kids as well, and they played soccer. Then the weather got bad, and the kids kept coming. And she thought, well, maybe they'll like poetry, because that was her art form of choice. Should they like one thing I like, maybe they'll like something else. And she found pretty quickly that the trust the relationships that were built on the field translated really well into the art form of spoken word and original poetry, that the kids were really able to be vulnerable with each other. They were able to write and process experiences going on in their lives together through that art form. And that's where DC Scores was born, 15 girls, one school, 22 years ago. Good. Can, can you give us a description of the basic components of the program? What schools you're in? How many? So this year, DC Scores is in 50 schools and rec centers. We have 2,182 children that have been through our programming, primarily third through eighth graders. We have over 181 coaches that have served those kids, and we work all throughout the District of Columbia. We work in the hardest hit schools in DC, public and public charter schools. We work in schools where three quarters of the kids typically are not on grade level at any of our grade levels uh, for reading or math, where 80% or more of the kids qualify for free lunch, meaning they're not guaranteed to eat healthy meals if they're not at school, where they come from neighborhoods that are racked by violence, by poverty, by drugs, where there's not a lot of opportunity for them. And so no involvement in high schools? So we do work with alumni of DC Scores, 
We provide support, particularly in soccer access, for our 400 some odd high school and teenage alumni. And that support can vary pretty wildly. Every year we run an alumni soccer tournament that gets over 200 kids out to come play and reconnect with the network. We employ every summer a number of our high school age alumni in partnership with DC's Marion Berry Summer Youth Employment Program to be camp counselors at our camps that we run for children in our programs. We also provide one-on-one -on -one, uh, targeted support for kids applying to college uh, or applying to high schools. You have to uh, apply to high schools in DC. And we help kids who wanna play soccer at a recreational level in high school have access to that. We actually run two teams in the local rec pay to play league where we much like with our younger children provide all the gear we provide cover all the costs we provide the coaches so that money is not a barrier to these kids being able to continue staying active and healthy. So what about the impact of the program on the kids? So we try really hard to make sure that what we are doing is really meaningful and impactful on the kids in their communities. That's why we're here. We're here to help them access what they need to develop the life skills and habits to break the cycle of poverty. That's really what we're doing. And we track both physical health impacts on our kids and social emotional or pro-social outcomes. We're really looking at a couple of things. Are kids getting healthier by being part of DC Scores? And are they increasing their connections to the community, their positive relationships, things that we know research shows are what gonna help them stay in school and succeed and stay on track throughout their schooling. And our results are pretty extraordinary. I have the latest numbers actually from our recent program year that just ended in June. 70% of kids in our programming, 24 weeks, uh, improved their body mass index by part of being part of DC Scores. 83% improve their aerobic capacity. Many of the kids we work with come from communities where obesity is pretty rampant. So these are pretty extraordinary numbers. On the pro-social side of things, because of DC scores, our children report that 95% of them understand the importance of respecting others. 96% discovered something that they are good at, which is no small thing, it may sound simple to you, but to have something that you are good at, the self-confidence, the self-esteem that builds, can't be paralleled. 95% of our kids feel comfortable talking to a coach when they have a problem, which is incredibly important because in a lot of these children's families, a lot of the communities, that positive adult relationship is not guaranteed. 94% say they care more about their school and that connection to school has been shown to get kids to show up. When kids show up, they stay in school. When they stay in school, they're more likely to have successful life outcomes. 99% of our kids report that because of DC scores, they are confident they will graduate high school. And one of my favorite, 89% say they feel like a role model to other students. And again, that self-confidence, you can picture a kid who's very nervous, as so many of our children, shy, worried about can they play soccer, can they speak on stage. And after a year with us, they say, wait a minute, I am a role model, and you see it in our alumni. Go all the way through, there's a young woman named Anna who I was talking to just this week who started in DC Scores in third grade, and she credits being part of DC Scores with giving her the confidence to assistant coach our soccer teams when she was in high school, to go pursue other opportunities for leadership in high school, including being part of the Greater Washington Youth Leadership Council, and now for going to college. That's really cool. It's funny, you're reminding me of a program I saw called High Tech High. Have you seen that? I have not. Most Likely to Succeed, the movie is called. It's a documentary. And they put these kids on these major projects and they work together and their, their self-esteem and everything just blossoms in an amazing way. And it's, it's cool that this program you're doing is, is doing the same sort of thing. So let's talk about the effect on the schools and the teachers, the parents, the community. So the most important thing to understand about DC scores is that the programming is not individual or a la carte. It is all team-based. So. Kids in our program who join DC scores, they join not 
just soccer or not just poetry or not just service, which are the three elements of our programming, they join a team. They join the DC Scores team at their school. And in fact, if we were ever to go to a game day, you'd see all the kids wearing uniforms that have DC scores on the front and their school name on the back. The importance of them joining a team at their school is that we are, in almost all of our schools, the school team. So think about what your school team meant to you in high school or in college, maybe even when you were younger. That's what we mean to these schools. These kids aren't just feel like role models themselves. They are, in many cases, the role models for the children in their school. They give the schools, which often have a lot of challenges, a positive thing to focus on, a positive group of kids, a positive outcome, a publicly positive outcome in the games, in the tournaments, in the annual poetry slam that we run to rally around, to cheer on, to get behind. Now, another cool thing about our program that's pretty unique is that while we love volunteers, and I hope some of you listening out there might want to volunteer with us someday, go to dcscores.org to find out more and how. We love volunteers, but we don't rely on them to deliver the day-to-day -day programming. We actually hire train and pay coaches to coach all the different aspects of our programming. And 88% of those coaches are school day teachers or support staff. So what does that mean? These folks are doing their second shift with us. But it means that in addition to our coaches impacting, being strong mentors for our team of kids, we are training them in positive youth development. We are giving them tools and techniques they can take back to their classroom, they can take back to their school. They are helping reinforce the values of teamwork, leadership, and commitment that DC Scores is organized around, not just on their team, but in their entire school community. They are helping us work with the school administration to make sure that our programming at any campus supports that school's needs. And so it's creating an ecosystem within the school that helps not just our kids, not just our coaches, but the entire school community. The other really great thing about this is that when parents come to game days, when parents come to the poetry slam, they are seeing teachers, they are seeing principals. The parents are then able to build connections in a much more positive way. Instead right? of a PTA meeting. Instead of a PTA meeting or you're called into the office and something <laughs> is bad, right? They're able to build these much more relaxed, positive relationships with the teachers and with the school. It encourages parents to come to the kids' schools for something positive. And that school family engagement is another marker of what makes a really successful school environment. And if I could, I'd love to just quote one of our coaches who sort of really summed this up well when he said, whenever I get to engage with students in a non-academic way, it improves our interactions in the classroom. And that's ultimately what it's all about, helping these kids be successful. So I you told me at one point that you guys you actually bus the children around town. We do. Uh, so you run a kind of pretty big busing operation that's a logistical challenge. We do. So describe that to me. So we run a full-fledged soccer league. So I should say all of our programming is free to every child in our program. We do not want cost to be a barrier for any child having access to a team. DC schools are not school bus schools, right? There are not actually school buses that transport children to and from school with except certain exceptions. So in order to actually run a full-fledged soccer league with home and away games so that parents can have access to the games, community members can have access to the games, school communities can have access to the games, we actually have to bus the children around the city every week. So every week during our season, we're busing about 800 to 1,000 kids around the city. We're running over 300 team bus trips a year. We bus every child together twice a year for two significant soccer tournaments to culminate the seasons. And we have about 800 games a year. So you think about kind of just the numbers and logistics that go into that. It's a big logistical hassle and headache, uh, but it's really, really important in order for the kids to have this robust experience.
So that's a huge logistical challenge. And you mentioned one other that you have, which is all the yes. equipment. So we have another huge logistical challenge, which is equipment. So we cannot be guaranteed in many of our school, that our, even our schools have soccer equipment, let alone that it's of usable quality. So we provide everything children need for a league. So if you think about what it actually takes to run a soccer league, we provide everything kids need for poetry too. There's just much less equipment needed for poetry and service <laughs> you don't need than a for soccer. Provide <laughs> <laughs> them notebooks, writing supplies, all sorts of other stuff. But if you think about what you need for to run a soccer game in a soccer league, you need goalposts or goals, excuse me. You need balls. You need pennies. You need referees. You need coaches. You need cones. The fields need to be lined. We do all of that. We also outfit every child for free, shoulder to shins. Wow. So that they have the uniform, the equipment that they need to be able to play and compete and feel part of that team. So all this bussing kids around, all the equipment, a staff that you have here, uh, paying these salaries for these people to coach yep. is all on a budget of? Less than $2 million. Okay. So where does that money come from? And, and how much of a challenge is it to do all this stuff with that much money? Absolutely, it's definitely a challenge. We're a very lean, efficient operation. Um, I wish we had more money because we've got a wait list of 16 schools and 10 rec centers. So there's more demand than we can even meet. One of the big challenges in this city is that most of the philanthropic funding, and we have uh, both government, um, we have both government grants, we have foundation and private corporate partnerships and grants, and then we have uh, benefit from the generosity of individuals, I'm sure like many of your listeners, to serve these kids. But most of that money has to be re-raised from scratch every single year. So, so the fact that you've got a waiting list of 16 schools and rec centers has got to be a testimony a testament to the success of the program, correct? You know, it's a testament to the success of the program, but it also is a real eye-opener to the need in this city. Yep. I wish there weren't that many kids who needed us, but there are, and we'd like to be there for all of them if we could. So it's really both. Absolutely. So a brief break. Uh, you're listening to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. We're talking with Bethany Rubin Henderson, the Executive Director of DC Scores a DC nonprofit that runs an innovative program in the DC public school system that serves approximately 2,000 children, their families, schools, and communities. I think maybe I said that wrong because you're both in charter schools and in the public schools, correct? Correct. So DC is a little confusing because it is a city, county, and state. So we work across Washington, DC in the publicly funded and public charter, so publicly funded DCPS and publicly funded public charter schools. The challenges with these schools is that they are not all on the same schedules. Within DCPS alone, there are some traditional school schedules, there's some extended day and extended year, and then the public charter schools, which operate as independent school entities alongside DCPS, may also have different schedules. When you're talking about logistics and busing and coordination, that adds a whole other level of complexity. So you noted when we talked on the phone about your husband and friends kind of getting tired of hearing you talk about making an impact, doing something, and they finally got to a point where they said, put up or shut up. Tell me a little bit about that, that story, what happened. So you're taking me back a ways. So the year after college, I had the privilege of working for the city of New York, and I got to work on this then brand new internet technology and how we were going to make it useful. And all the way back in 1998. All the way back in the 1990s. <laughs> and that year really sparked an idea in me. I spent the year with a cohort of other folks who were doing similar projects at different agencies around the city. And I thought, gosh, this is so cool. What an incredible impact. And it really turned me on to the impact one could have in local government in terms of really having an impact on policy, really having an impact on people's lives. 
and I thought this would be great to be doing in my own hometown of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I wish I could be spending the year there, but this kind of program did not exist anywhere else. And so that year, the seed was planted in my head of, hey, what if I, when I'm established and settled and old, what if I could take this to other communities, take this to Baton Rouge? I'll, you know, stick that in the back of my head because I'd like to do that someday. Well, I went on to law school. I went on to practice law for a number of years. In the midst of this, all the internet bubble burst, so there was you know, a lot of chaos in the economy. But this idea stuck with me. And apparently, I was talking about it so much that eight years later in 2007, nine years later, both my husband and a very good friend to me in the same week said, put up or shut up. So we are done listening to you talk about this. You either do something about it or we refuse to listen to you anymore. And I thought, gosh, if the two people in the world who are most inclined to listen to me are done, I must and they really know you be best. And they know me best. Yeah. I must really be talking about this a lot. Yep. I got to try something. And so I decided to give it a shot, see if anybody out there cared about this idea besides me, or if it was just sort of a nice fantasy in my head. And so I worked out an opportunity with my law firm at the time to go part-time, keep some of my cases, and with the rest of my time on my own dime, literally traveled around the country talking to anybody who would talk to me. And you wrote a white paper or I something? Wrote about or a, I sketched it out in the back of a napkin originally, literally okay. sitting in a Starbucks, converted it to a one-page sort of summary, and decided, all right, what do I need to figure out? I need to figure out how to get in front of city halls and see if anybody in city halls cares. I need to get in front of philanthropists and see if anybody in the philanthropic community cares. I need to get in front of universities and see if they think students would actually care and be interested. Because I was really interested in targeting that post-college, pre-grad school, sort of first job out of college audience, which at the time, only 6% of them agreed with the statement that government service is public service, which to me was a huge travesty and a huge opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I went around traveling around the country sort of, hey, will you talk to me? Who else will you introduce me to? And pretty quickly found that there was an incredible need in city governments for young people. That most city governments had a sort of disproportionate number of staff who were on their way out toward retirement and very few people kind of in that pipeline, younger staff coming in. There was a real risk of institutional knowledge loss and a real risk of skills loss as well. So the cities of Houston and San Francisco collectively put in over a million dollars. They said, we need this, we need this now. And I built the plan as I flew it for that first year. So what sort of advice do you have for millennials? Uh, who, you know, you got this bug that bit you when you were 21 years old. Yep. And, and you've walked away from it, sort of, and then you came back and you've given your life to it. You've been able to do this. You're, you're blessed. You're, you're married to someone who's working and you can do this. What advice would you give to young people who sort of have these dreams, something on their heart, some higher purpose? What would you tell them to do? So it really boils down to three, please, three pieces of advice and then an addendum. I'll start with the addendum first, which is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to do what I did and literally walk away. I was an associate at a big law firm on a fast track to partner and the opportunity to make quite a lot of money had I stayed. And I knew I couldn't stay without trying this first. You don't have to have that stark of a choice. You don't have to be all or nothing. You could do this as a volunteer. You just work as a board member of organizations. Nonprofits like DC Scores are always looking for high quality board members. Um, you could do this work on the side, helping a friend. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. That's the addendum. But the real advice I want to give is really three things. Number one, don't wait for someday. There will be better times and there'll be worse times in your life to take big leaps, to try new things. There will never, I guarantee it, be the perfect time. It's not gonna happen. And so if you're sitting around waiting for the perfect time, you will never do anything. Mm -hmm. If you have an opportunity, you have something that's really bugging you, assess your life 
and decide is this a better time or a worse time. And I didn't start City Hall Fellows the day after I had that conversation with my husband and my friend, right? We spent about a year worth of planning time, some spec time, some talking to people, um, laying the groundwork, making sure our financial house was in order so that we could have the runway for me to try this. The other thing I'd say, it wasn't a great time for me either, not just because of the professional career track that I was on, but right after I left my law firm and started City Hall, felt working at City Hall Fellows full time and not paying myself to do that, I got pregnant and ended up on bed rest. And so I did the first year almost entirely from my couch. Wow. Uh, working in two cities I didn't live in. My daughter is wonderful. She's almost eight years old now. She's fantastic. It wasn't the best time, but it was okay. And I never regret not having, I never regret having made that path. So don't wait for someday. Number two, find your superpower and use it for good. So what is your superpower? It is the thing that makes you you. If you don't know what it is, ask your family, ask your best friend, ask the people that you work with. What is it that makes you you? What is it that makes you unique? It might be that you're an amazing athlete. It might be that you're a wizard with words and you can write beautiful things. It might be that you're incredibly persuasive, that you're not afraid of getting up in front of rooms of people. It might be that you're an amazing researcher, an incredibly organized data person. It doesn't matter what it is. Find your superpowers and use that for good. So how do you, how do you find that? Is it from external feedback from people? I mean, how, how did you understand what you could do? Did you just know that? I think it is partly what makes you you, what you know, and partly what people tell you over and over and over. I had a funder, a woman who ended up being a funder of mine at a foundation that I met early on in the City Hall Fellows process, who after 30 minutes of meeting with me, looked at me and said, people don't say no to you very often, do, you, do they? And I said, well, you know, what do you say? I was like, well, not so often. She goes, I can tell because you just keep coming back. My husband also reiterates that my persistence, the fact that I just keep finding ways to knock over whatever barriers are in my way if I really think something is important is one of my superpowers. So did I know that? Sure, could I have articulated it that way? Maybe not. So I'd encourage people to ask others, what is your superpower? What is it that people admire about you? So I wanna do two things. We've only got a few more minutes. I wanna make sure you mentioned reading some poetry yes. from one of your students and also a call to action if you had some things you were thinking that you wanted to to sort of issue an invitation to people. Absolutely. Let me do both of those things. Let me really quickly give you the third piece of advice, okay. which is what I call the 20-year rule. 10-year rule of 20 years seems too long to you. But ask yourself the question when you're faced with these major types of decisions, what will I most regret not doing? Which path will I most regret not trying? I found that to be a very good barometer in my life. And looking back, I would have really regretted not taking the leap to do City Hall Fellows, even though it was extremely hard. All right. Um, let me read you, let me give you a quick um, call to action because I do think it's really important that folks, especially in the greater DC, Virginia, Maryland community understand just how great a need there is here for programs like DC Scores. As I said, we've got 16 schools in our wait list and 10 rec centers. It really is for us a matter of money. You know, if someone handed me the funding tomorrow, we could have sustainable. So funding for a number of years is really important so that we can be with the kids over a period of time, which is essential, but we could actually have those programs up and running tomorrow. There are other programs in the community that serve kids like DC Scores does, that have more demand than they can meet. And these kids don't have opportunities like kids in the suburbs take for granted. So I think it is really important to check us out, learn more about the youth development needs and sector in DC. You can start by going to www.dcscores.org and reading about us, seeing where we are. If you feel so inclined, you can sign up to volunteer or make a donation on our page as well. But I encourage you to learn more about what's going on right here in your own backyard because there is need and it doesn't take all that much time or money for you to really make a big impact here. Great. If possible, 
I would love to close by reading one of the 14,000 original poems. Police, 14,000? 14,000. Wow, cool. Children in DC scores wrote last Please. year. This is one of my favorites. It was written by a young woman named Erica, who's 11 years old and attends Seton Elementary School. And it's titled Her Beauty. In every star, a delicate flower lives. We cannot see her, only the light she gives. She is the hidden oasis. In every desert, a voice of water. She cannot be replaced. Her voice is music to my ears, like a classical concert. She is the hidden oasis. In every desert, a voice of water. Her beautiful smile in the form of a flower. She is the hidden oasis. In every desert, a voice of water. That's inner beauty. Love is power. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really well done. But uh, I, I just want to thank you so much for joining us and spending the time and for what you're doing. I love what you're doing and it's really making an impact and it's, it's encouraging to me to hear these sort of stories. Uh, for listeners who want to find out more information about DC Scores, Bethany mentioned their website, which is dcscores.org. And uh, we'll also be posting information about them on our Facebook and Twitter pages at GraceIn30. If you know someone locally or nationally who would be a great guest for our show, please contact us at gracein30 at gmail.com. You're also welcome to send feedback to us there. A recording of the show can be found on WERA's website 24 hours after the show is aired, as well as on our gracein30.com website. This is Ed Mellick signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace. So this is a poem by Keshley A, who's 11 and attends Bancroft Elementary School. It's titled, I Have the Right. I am a child with eyes, a mouth, and a powerful voice. I have the right to be a child. I have the right to live under a peaceful roof. I have the right to go to school. I have the right to an education, whether I am Hispanic, black, white, short, tall, smart, or not. I have the right to envision a bright future. I have the right to create, imagine, and express my emotions. <laughs>